0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> thank you girls for leading us in worship. It's great to worship together, isn't it? Let's pray before we look into God's word this morning. Father, we just thank you for just the gift of singing songs and worshiping you and we know that you are so worthy way beyond any worship that we can give you and we thank you for allowing us to just express our appreciation and our love for you we thank you for all the things that you do for us we thank you for the church and and your plan for the ages we pray now that you would help us to glean from uh, your word what you have for us today and that we would be better people because of it and help others more because of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we've been talking about serving together in the church by using the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us in order to serve each other, in order to, you know, help people come to know Christ, in order to be able to be a church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus is the one who apportions those gifts. So they're gifts of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is the one who apportions them and decides who gets what and probably how much. And it says he does so so that the body of Christ is built up, leading us to unity in the faith. You know how... You know, different churches, different denominations, different people have all different views. Even though we're kind of in the same group of knowing that Jesus is the Savior, we have all different kinds of thoughts or maybe a little bit different doctrines. Well, you know, he's using the church to grow us up into unity in the faith, moving us toward the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, that sounds like a major task to me. Moving all of us, you know, all over the world, all of us Christians, as the church, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So it seems that when we use the spiritual gifts that God has given us and Christ has apportioned, by exercising them, we are all contributing to one another's spiritual growth and one another's spiritual maturity. And as we move toward unity in the faith, and as we move toward closer or closer to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, it seems somewhat amazing how much Jesus planned and God planned to include us, flawed followers, to be a part of shaping each other. As we work together, we shape each other, we help shape each other to maturity in Christ. So to sum all that up, I want to look back at some verses we we looked at earlier in this series, three verses here in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, so Christ himself, and these are going to be the gifts, the, the top gifts. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What a journey. What a journey he's taking us on, and it comes with us all sharing our gifts with each other. What an amazing plan for building the body of Christ. You know, God uses us failed, flawed people. But then we learned of one very gifted church in the Bible, in the New Testament, that wasn't doing well in spite of all the gifts that God had given them. Paul said they were lacking in no gift, but they were lacking in Christian character. They were lacking in godly attitudes and concern for others. And so that made those gifts that they had ineffective. You know, the gifts couldn't get past their bad attitudes and their their immaturity. Because they all wanted the spotlight and the microphone. And they fought over who was playing the lead character. They were using the wisdom of the world and and the values of the world to, you know, Uh, form their church or or to lead their church. So the Apostle Paul explains to them something that really is the answer to their disastrous results that they had been experiencing. Something that would cast out the self-centeredness and the competing for center stage. And his answer is the basis for churches working in peace and harmony to serve the Lord, and to build each other up. This is the missing ingredient for the Corinthians. And it just so happens that we're going to be exploring this brilliant answer to church problems. It happens to be on the very week of Valentine's Day. And you'll see the connection in a minute. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter in light of the Corinthians' self-centered approach to church life and the Christian life in general. So we'll we'll be looking at it as a part of the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And it contains the absolute answer for Christians being able to work together to help each other move forward to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so what a journey. We're looking at this amazing plan that God had to mature the body of Christ. Now, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, one of the more well-known passages of the Bible, or at least knowing what it's all about, you know, the love chapter, and we often think of this passage as Scripture, this passage of Scripture as, you know, what, how people should treat each other, and it is. But the context is Paul's answer for the church in Corinth to be able to work with one another in harmony. So that's, that's the whole thing. The whole thing is it's correcting this church because they weren't able to work in harmony because of their attitudes, because of their character lack. And the background is the Corinthians' self-centeredness, their competitiveness, their clamoring for attention and admiration in their use of the spiritual gifts. They took those spiritual gifts that were meant to bring them together and help each other, you know, grow in Christ, and they were using them as weapons to pounce on each other. So if you look with me at 1 Corinthians 13, we'll look at the first three verses. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues, he's going to talk to them about the gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Even if he speaks in the tongues of angels. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that means nothing is beyond his his gift of prophecy. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, and that word is translated to the fire because that's what it it often meant. That I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul there is talking in in terms of extreme hypotheticals. He's talking about people or somebody being able to do something that they can't do, they can't actually do. So he's talking about if he has this gift of tongues where he can speak other languages, even if I could speak in angelic languages, which wasn't happening. So he said, even if I have the ability to speak way beyond foreign languages, but in angelic languages, which is totally impossible if I don't have love. Even then, it gets me nothing. And then he talks about being able to solve and understand all unfathomable mysteries and having all knowledge possible, well, all knowledge beyond what's possible and a faith strong enough to move mountains which in the Bible is a metaphor for being able to do the unimaginable. A faith that would cause people to faint on the spot if they ever saw it working. And he says, if I make the most extreme sacrifice by giving my body over to the fire or, you know, to hardship. He says, if I could even boast of an unequaled Or matchless sacrifice, even if I go beyond the extreme to the extent that no one could do any more than what I would give, even if I set every record for giftedness and faith and willingness to sacrifice, if my motive isn't love, I gain nothing. He's basically telling the Corinthians why they are having so much trouble when they are so gifted and so well-equipped by the Spirit to serve. Why are they having so much trouble if they have so much ability? Well, you see, they weren't seeing the gifts as instruments for serving. They were just using the world's mindset and seeing them almost as, as weapons to attack one another. And next he tells them what true, honest love looks like verse 4 first part of verse 4 says love is patient love is kind patience and kindness patience and kindness can you think of someone right now who in your opinion is especially patient and kind, that has that reputation? Doesn't that person stand out to you as someone kind of special? And doesn't that person seem to have a special way with others, able to get through to them? And aren't people even drawn to them? patient and kind people. You know, I've said before, when I became a Christian, it was, in a sense, I just left my old friends and went to these new Christian friends. And so I left a lot of things that were my old life and just started living a whole new life. It was just like overnight. But you know, for patience and kindness to come in and be a part of my life. Well, that didn't happen overnight. There are some things that take longer than one night. And it took me a lot longer than one night. And it seems like the Corinthians were more known for their impatience and their unkindness And their willingness to kind of like stomp on others. And the church was a mess. Even though they had all the gifts. They they didn't have the character. Now look at the rest of verse 4. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. True godly love is not envious, boastful, or proud. And sometimes we see that, don't we? I remember one TV evangelist reading in the newspaper how he was kind of jealous of this other evangelist because he was making a lot more money. The Corinthians were very competitive, You know, fighting each other for, for center stage, for the spotlight, envious of others who were receiving the attention that they wanted while those who were receiving attention were boastful and proud." Envy, boastfulness, pridefulness, they often come from insecurity, don't they? Probably not every single time, but often they do. And if we find ourselves having attitudes or feelings, these kind of attitudes and feelings, boastfulness, pride, it often points to some kind of weakness in our relationship to Jesus Christ. It's like we haven't allowed him to really fill us. We haven't really put all of ourselves into him and our relationship to him. Or maybe it's just a lack of understanding of all that we have, the riches that we have in Christ that the Bible talks about. And it may tempt us to chase the applause and approval of people because we're not grasping our rich position in Jesus Christ. And the the, uh, Corinthians were trying very hard to prove to others why they should be lifted up and exalted. And then verse 5 says, love does not dishonor others. It doesn't attack others and put them down. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So when we walk in the love of Christ and the Father, just look how much junk it gets rid of if we walk in his light and we walk in a relationship that is rich in him. You know, we stop dishonoring others we stop seeking things just for ourselves to lift ourselves up we can get rid of being easily angered we can stop keeping lists if we allow you know the spirit to really fill us if we allow if we're into the word let the word of god you know invade us and be a part of us when we let our guard down and we maybe aren't in God's word regularly and then people treat us badly you know and we know that's going to happen people will treat us badly from time to time and if we're not into God's word and we're not letting the spirit kind of take God's word and put it into our uh, being into our inner being and we're not in times of prayer so that we're quiet and spending time with God, then we can fall into reacting as the world reacts. And the world always tells us to strike back. Don't let them put you down. You tell them what they are. And you show them. And Satan wants us to strike back, doesn't he? We are told by the world not to let anyone treat us badly or criticize us for our choices. You be you. And you tell them you're going to be you. And the world is so busy trying to make people so full of themselves. And just come out and be who you are. And you don't care what others say. The world tells us to stand up to people. And Satan especially wants us to be at odds with people in our church. Satan really wants a divided local body of Christ. He loves church battles and power struggles and people fighting back and harboring resentment and feeling like we're victimized and people jockeying for control. He loves for us to adopt the world's formula for taking revenge. But God wants us to feel secure in his love for us and not to be self-seeking. Not to be seeking, you know, uh, positions of privilege or honor. Not easily angered when something doesn't go the way we wanted. Not to harbor resentment because it wasn't completely fair. And you see, you know, time in God's word and time in prayer and time with God's people, we help shape each other and it will help us live above the world's model for victory or the world's model for what we have to do to get self-esteem or success and the reason is true godly love and true godly joy will take us to a whole different mindset and feeding yourself with the word of God and the Holy Spirit inside of us and the Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures, that will help us to really grow. It's a slow step-by-step process, isn't it? It's growing in Christ little by little, and all of us together, working together, exercising our gifts and using love and care and concern helps us to grow to be more like Christ. It's a mindset so different, the world can't even understand it. And they look at it a lot of times and think it's weird. Because it's not in their mindset. Now look at verses 6 and 7. It says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You know, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, many of you know this, it deals with a man in the church who, it said, was sexually involved with his father's wife. Many many scholars think it was like uh, not his mother, but another wife his father had married but it doesn't really explain it, but it just says his father's wife. But the problem was, well, of course, that was the problem, but the the even worse problem was that some in the church were applauding him. They thought it was something good or daring or whatever, I don't know. And Paul said they should have been mourning him and they should have gotten him out of the church. But they were delighting in evil. And here they were having all these gifts and they were delighting in one of the most egregious acts of evil. But the Apostle Paul says we must shun what the Bible calls evil and we must rejoice in God's truth. The world doesn't rejoice in God's truth a lot of times. They do rejoice in evil but true love does not. True love deals with it in a God-honoring way, not in hatred, but in grief and sorrow, and always praying for repentance and reconciliation. And when we pray for repentance and reconciliation, we are delighting in the truth and not rejoicing in evil. And then again in verse 7, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now when I see that verse, I think of Christian fellowship. You know, we don't always trust somebody that's untrustworthy. But as a Christian fellowship, as a Christian family, as married partners, as family members together, We want that positive. We want to approach it very positively. Protecting each other. Trusting each other. Always hoping in each other's success or each other's good. Persevering. And you know, a lot of times in marriage relationships, there's just this animosity. But we gotta get past that animosity. We gotta really be Hopeful for each other. Protect each other. Trust each other. Persevere. And then in verses 8 through 10, as Paul kind of comes down to the conclusion, starting with 8 through 10, he says, love never fails. And what he's talking about is love will never wear out it it will never move past love love will always be something we're aiming for and trying to do but where there are prophecies they will cease at some point there will be no more need for prophecies where there are tongues they will be stilled because tongues are temporary where there is knowledge it will pass away he's talking about those spiritual gifts for now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. <clears throat> He's talking about the purpose and nature of these spiritual gifts that the, that the church has been you know, really messing up in that area. He's talking about especially the ones that the Corinthians were clamoring for the ones they were using to exalt themselves and take center stage, the ones that they were weaponizing. Their purpose, these purposes of these gifts were to help each other. But their nature is going to be temporary, Paul says. But he says love isn't temporary. It's eternal. Love never fails. It will never cease. It has no no shelf life. Tongues will cease at some point. The spiritual gift of knowledge will cease at some point. And they don't really give uh, a time frame for that. He says, for now we have gifts to help us through our time of limited knowledge because we have limited knowledge. But then we're moving toward a time of complete knowledge. And one day we will live with full knowledge. During this church age... We are moving toward the time of full knowledge. And he doesn't say exactly when these certain gifts will cease, except that by the time the completeness comes. And his point to the Corinthians is they shouldn't be so focused and so worried about and so caught up, so enamored, and so combative on things that are temporal, on things that will pass away eventually. Rather, focus on love, the eternal characteristic of God himself. So it's the temporary versus the eternal. And then in verses 11 through 13, he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And their mirrors weren't like real clear like ours. Their mirrors were just, you know, not not near as clear. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of of these is love. So Paul is telling the Corinthians, who had so much immature attitude, so much of an immature attitude, taking the gifts that were given to help others and using them to lord it over others, to stomp on others, to to push others off off the stage using them to exalt themselves over others, all because of just the worldly mindset. You know, the Corinthians had so much trouble just leaving the world outside the church, they would bring that mindset into the church. And he's telling them it's time to grow up. It's time to learn what it is to truly love with God's love. And it's time to move toward faith, hope, and love. Those are the eternal. Well, they're not really called gifts, but those are the eternal characteristics. Faith, hope, and love. And as important as the gifts were, we're moving towards something more lasting, more maturing. And now, I'd like to read something from 1 Thessalonians. I think it's very telling this was a church that Paul really praised he says in chapter 1 verse 2 we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers and here's the verse we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope and our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a church who had moved on from, the, from using the gifts as battles to eternal gifts or to eternal characteristics of God and for God's people. And so back to our last verse. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and wow, how much it teaches us in so many different ways, through stories, through letters, through examples from churches. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for how full And helpful it is and how much we can learn from it and we pray that we will as we move on in our process you know to organize our church and maybe a a, a way that will help each other more we pray that you would give us your wisdom and help us to grow in love for each other I do thank you Lord that this church is a mature church And people are loving one another and helping one another. And so I thank you for that. And I pray that this message will take us even further. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.